Welcome to Fertile Minds Radio. Here you'll find wisdom for your fertility journey and beyond, chosen specifically to help you trust your body and elevate your spirit so you can enjoy the process. Join us and see what a fertile mind feels like. Now your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland. Welcome back to the show. Hillary Talbot Roland here, your go-to gal for all the stuff your docs won't tell you when it comes to your fertility, pregnancy, and parenting. Before I jump into today's episode, I want to remind you that the free 29-day fertility challenge is around the corner. If you missed it last time or signed up and didn't complete it before time ran out, it will be starting again August 26, 2018. Each day, you will get an email reminder from me to log in and check out the day's new meditation. Each meditation will guide you through your chakras, helping you to free stuck emotions, releasing limiting beliefs, and to tone your physical body, readying it for conception. I really want you to experience what a relaxed nervous system can feel like simply by taking 20 minutes each day to explore your own energetic body. I also want you to see just how easy it is to connect with this part of yourself and to start using it to manifest the life of your dreams. And the only way to do that is to create a habit. So join me in this challenge by going to ladypotions.com to sign up today. Now, it's no secret that I'm into meditation and that I think it's one mighty tool when it comes to conquering fertility challenges. But I'm going to let you in on a bigger secret today. It's truly the secret weapon when it comes to parenting with a clear head and an open heart, which is exactly why I interviewed today's guest. I see so many women and couples that use this amazing practice, but then as soon as the baby comes, it's out the window. They totally forget their practice, which is somewhat understandable. Parenting is rough, especially in those first six months. However, I want to encourage you to not lose this valuable practice after becoming pregnant or giving birth. My guest today is Michelle Gale. She is a corporate mindfulness teacher, author, and public speaker. She enjoys connecting with audiences across the country and online to explore the power of presence, living with intention, and mindful parenting. She was previously the head of learning and leadership development at Twitter and has a best-selling book titled Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. In addition to her board work with the Holistic Life Foundation, she is currently a strategic advisor to the Mindful Schools and the Wisdom 2.0 Conference, which is coming up this November in New York. Michelle received her MA in Psychology from Meridian University, is a longtime practitioner of mindfulness, and lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband, two sons, and adorable dogs. Her book, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, is a must-read and a revisit as you and your children grow. She also has a podcast with the same title where she shares mini meditations to help keep parents sane and centered. Hi, Michelle. I'm so happy to have you on the show and that our mutual friend Elizabeth turned me on to your work. Because even though we've never met, after reading your book and realizing we had so many of the same teachers and really similar experiences growing up, I kind of feel like I already know you. (laughs) And I just want to thank you for writing such a vulnerable work of art where the reader can come home to themselves in a non-threatening way. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And um, I love Elizabeth and grateful she introduced us and just happy to be here with, with your community. Thanks for having me. 
You're welcome. So I brought you on today because I feel like your message is such an important one to spread, especially to my listeners, because really often what I see happen is my patients or friends uh, who have meditation practices completely lose them or think they don't have time for them as soon as they become parents. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and the reality is, is that's like the key to their growth and their sanity and their children's growth. And I just can't wait for you to drop some of your wisdom on tips and your experiences with our listeners as to how to keep mindfulness part of their actual parenting. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's a an article I wrote, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, on the Harvard Business Review. And it's written for working parents, but any parent can read it. It's called How Busy Working Parents Can Make Time for Mindfulness. So we'll talk about some of that, you know, some of those principles, but that's a nice little resource for people that's there right now that they can access because really it is about weaving it into what you're already doing. You know, I always tell parents, you know, there's all these rules you'll often hear around mindfulness, which I know you've heard, like sit at the same time every day, you know, in the same place. And there's all all these rules around it. And I'm like, throw that out the window. You know, we're all just kind of hanging on here. (laughs) That's just not going to work. I mean, it might work for some people. And if it does, like by all means, go for it. Especially if you can wake up early. You know, my kids are a little bit older now. And so I just get up early most mornings. You know, I make sure I go to bed early enough at night so I get enough sleep because sleep really matters. And if I didn't go to bed early enough, I will definitely sleep more in the morning. So we, you know, we have to have our priorities, but I'll often get up early and I sit before the day begins, even if it's just for 15 minutes, you know, and if it's for 40 minutes, wonderful, but I sit as long as I can. But when our kids are little or we're going through a difficult time in our families and things are really tumultuous, it's like weaving it into what we're already doing even if it's just, you know, a pause before we pick up our phone, you know, just take a pause, take a breath, you know, even if it's just when we're saying goodbye and we make sure we get eye contact a little bit more with our kids right before they go, that there's just a moment of like, I see you. And I talk about that in my book, the I see you moments, you know, it might be just when we're washing the dishes and just feeling or in the shower, the shower is such a good place. And just really having a moment of feeling the water on our hands or on our body. So really tapping into the senses throughout the day. I'm totally with you. I, I had a really strong meditation practice, you know, one hour in the morning and one hour in the afternoon. And that just went to hell in a handbasket when I moved in with four men, <laughs> five I men. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've never had that long of a practice every day. No, I own that. You know, I went from going Ooh. on like silent retreats to being sort of resentful at first of like, there's no quiet space, there's no altar, there's no ritual. And I am a big advocator of meditating. Like that's where my meditation happens like you early in the morning in my bed, propped up yes. <laughs> or in the car line. Yeah. Perfectly acceptable place while the car is not moving. <laughs> yes. The car line is great. Like in the car drop-offs are perfect. You know, drop-off, pick up, like drop them off, get back to your parking spot and just either sit in silence or, you know, use one of the apps. There's a million of them, Headspace, Calm, Simple Habit. There's lots of them. On Simple Habit, I have a seven-day series and I, I've had a couple of interviews recently and I still haven't checked. I don't know if it's free or not free. So I'm sorry if you have to pay for it. I'm not totally sure, but it's on Simple Habit and it's a seven-day series for parents just five minutes a day. And it kind of brings through the core of practice from my perspective for mindful parenting. So you just do that, right? For five minutes, once a day. 
No, I completely agree with you. And it was, I kind of came up against my perfectionism of like, if I can't do it the way that I was taught to do it, then I'm not going to do it at all for a little bit. And that was, that was a recipe for disaster. I bet. <laughs> right. So I had to get right back into the small increments and really give myself permission that this was okay, that it didn't look like it used to and realize that I had actually built an attachment to my practice in the way I thought it should look. Yes. Another layer of knowing myself and my isms. Yeah. And like, that's beautiful, right? That is like, that's a huge win. I, I know I'm speaking to the choir here, but that's a huge win to notice, oh, I actually am quite rigid yeah. around my idea of practice. And that rigidness is actually causing me a lot of suffering. Yep. And so if I can, if I can back off of that and just be with what's possible, what's realistic in the life that I'm in, right? You know, whenever we hear should, could have, you know, shoulds like the the Mac daddy of them all. Like anytime you hear yourself saying it should be differently, yeah. you know, like there's a moment, like lean in, dive right into that one because there's some good stuff there. <laughs> I like to picture there. myself covered in poop because I say stop shutting on yourself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> a little giggle of like, oh, look what you're doing to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that is an image I had not thought of, but that's a good one. Yeah. I sometimes have a little bit of an Allie McBeal mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I might use that one at some point. I'm not sure if it's mindfulness or just daydreaming, but it happens. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's funny. That's a lot. Well, yeah. And you have to, we have to have fun and we have to be able to laugh at ourselves because this is hard work. You know, I say in my book and I say all the time, mindful parenting is not for the faint of heart, right? This is not, this is not just read a book and, you know, try meditation once or twice and <laughs> we're done. You know, this is life's work. This is life's work. This is that that inner journey that we commit to, you know, in our lives for for ourselves, for our families and our children, for our communities, for our world. Because this, to me, this is this is why I do the work that I do, and why I'm guessing I'm going to make an assumption. A big reason of why you do the work you do is because in knowing ourselves, we create the conditions for peace you know, in our families and in our communities and in the world. Right? What, what we want to do is raise a generation of children awake and we have to awaken ourselves first and then they can go on and imagine, you know, how they'll heal this, this world that we live in. Right. And to learn to be their own people. Yeah. <laughs> to do that. Yes. Not just extensions of what we think that they should be. No. Yeah. And then they get to go out in the world and, and, and live in truth, you know, and be with themselves as they are and know their own shoulds and see where they're shoulding other people. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and now I'm imagining poop all over everyone. Right? <laughs> so you had this place in the beginning of your book that I thought was so relevant to many of our listeners where you had this realization that so much of your anxiety as a parent came from the fear of screwing them up. Mm-hmm. And I observe this all the time in my practice with new parents, and they're all terrified of this, yet none of them are talking to one another about it. They're like so busy on the playground, like mom upping each other on what they put in their lunch boxes, but they don't really like talk about their struggles and their emotions like anxiety and guilt and shame around parenting. It's just, I thought it was so beautiful that you just broke it down of like, no, this is like my greatest fear. Like I am scared of screwing them up. And so I'm going to actually work on myself and lead by example. And that's the only way that I'm I'm not going to screw them up really. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. And you know what? They may be screwed up too. Like, and what does that even mean? Like, right. Cause it's also my vision of what they're supposed to be. And that's so much of what we want to do in this work, you know, is to see, you know, I was on a retreat last year and before the silence, before we went into the, you know, it was five or six days of silence. Um, it was a small enough retreat that everyone was able to sit in a circle and say like, why were they here? Like, why, why now? And out of my mouth came something like, I want to be able to see the child in front of me, you know, not the story that I have of them because I, I catch myself imagining, you know, how I think their lives should be in one way or another or what's going wrong. And I miss the magic that's right there. And I miss the magic of who they are, like these incredible wise creatures that are there, perfect, you know, in every moment, in every way, really, even in our imperfections, we're perfect. And so, yeah, like that was, that's, that's the work. Can, can we see the children who are in front of us truly? No, I think that's such a good point because even, you know, the population that I work with and them wanting a child, like one of the questions I will ask is why do you want a child? And what would your life be like if you didn't have a child? Like, can we, can we look at that? And a lot of times there's a story wrapped up in who that person is, like who their child's going to be before they even get here. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's the, that's kind of the point to go, Hey, 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 like this is, you are living in the future and it's not reality. And like, let's do your soon to be child a, let's do them a favor by committing to being present and just seeing who they are. Because the bottom line is, is you don't know who you're getting sent. (laughs) I certainly didn't know I was going to have four plopped in my lap. Right. No, we don't know. And, and even, even to go inward to say, how am I trying to complete myself through having this child? That's where we get into trouble. Oh, for sure. Right. That we're trying to complete ourselves in some way that we have this belief that we're not whole and this child is going to make us whole. Right. Or save our marriage or yes, we are of the age where we should be doing that. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's so commonplace that people don't even realize they're doing it, right? No, no, it's completely unconscious. It's completely unconscious. And that's why, you know, waking up and, and getting to know ourselves in a deeper way is so important to, to having, having a family. So I, I have a question. This is like, maybe I'm going to get a little bit of coaching from you here when I ask you this. What do you do when you wake up after the fact? So like the other day I had probably my most terrible parenting moment. (laughs) (laughs) I felt so, I still feel awful about it. So I'm bringing it up, right? I'm going to out myself here. Uh, Long story short, the twins had been kind of just at each other physically. It was one of those days like of summer where they're cooped up and it was raining and, you know, it was like every 10 minutes, like, please remove your hands from your brother. Right. (laughs) And they wrestled a blueberry into my off-white linen restoration hardware couch. Ooh. Yeah. Which is just a thing. Like I totally get that. I completely lost my shit. I bet. <laughs> I did. There's nothing, there's no way around it. Right. Like, and the look on their face when I did, oh. it shattered me. And it was like, there's nothing. And even though I apologized of like, wow, I was really reactive and I shouldn't have just jumped out at you that way. And I'm so sorry. Like the damage was done. <laughs> Like even my teenager later, like last night, he said, he was like, wow, I didn't know you could be so scary. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, you weren't even the one in trouble. And it's imprinted on your psyche. (laughs) 
Yeah. And it's just a couch, right? It's just a thing. And so what do you do when you awaken, but you awaken like a millisecond or three sentences too late? Mm, well, I think you did the right thing, right? You repaired, you know, you went back and you said, I, that was too much, right? And they, it becomes such teaching moments for as much as our children are willing. And sometimes you have to do it in little bits, you know, like you may bring it up a few times, you know, over time, but all of that becomes such a teaching moment because you can say like my reaction to what happened was so much bigger than what actually happened. And you know, when I think about it, it actually wasn't just about the couch. It was about that you guys had been arguing and I myself was triggered. And really, I don't need to be so triggered while you guys are arguing, but I wasn't able to to manage that within myself all morning. And so then when the blueberry thing happened, I really lost it. And you know what? I wasn't taking care of myself. And I need to take care of myself better when I notice that stress is arising. Right? And all of those things you're saying to them that they're how, as much as they're willing to hear helps them to know what to do when they start to lose it. Right. So we make the implicit explicit as much as we can, right? And when your teenager said that, you can say, yeah, and it scared me. And and what was that experience for you? Particularly with a teenager, you can probably get some of that information if they're willing in the moment. And if they're not, you just let it go. But yeah, you know, I'm still noticing I'm feeling shame about that. And I'm working on letting it go and forgiving myself. Um, Because it's not not a healthy mind state. And, you know, if you're willing to tell me, what was that like for you when I screamed like that? Right. And so they get to go into their experience a little bit, like any emotions, any thoughts you were having, feeling anything you noticed in your body, like that constricted, that got tight. So all of a sudden, this miserable, psychotic mommy moment, (laughs) which we all have, (laughs) we totally all have becomes just, this is, this is where, you know, we lean into the mess. This is what my book is all about. Mindful parenting in a messy world. Sometimes it's a really big mess. Then that mess becomes our greatest opportunity for our own growth, for our children's growth, because you know what? They're going to snap someday too. And now they're going to have imprinted on them. What can I do when I, when I snap and what can I do to maybe not snap? Like, oh yeah, you know, this is what this is what my mom did, right? That's beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So, you know, and just the shame is there, the guilt is there. And when we practice mindfulness enough, we're able to have that space from it. The fact that you're aware it's there shows your practice because many of us don't even know it's there, right? It's still there. It's working on us underneath the hood. We're not having awareness of it and it's leaking out continuously for weeks and months on end, Yeah, right? And we don't even know why it's leaking out, why we're being nasty here and grumpy there and, you know, right? Oh, I hate being leaky. It's like, it's it's a terrible feeling, right? (laughs) Yes, you don't want to leak, no leaking. But when we have awareness, we just don't leak as much. Right, or we leave a positive leakage, right? A positive imprint. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And that, like that is, those are the conversations we want to be having with each other. Right. Cause it's totally real and it happens. And if you're listening and even if you haven't had children yet, it's going to happen to you one day. <laughs> yes, it will. And whatever that looks like, and everyone doesn't have, like I grew up in a house where there was a lot of yelling and I'm always saying I'm a recovering yeller. I don't yell very often anymore. And even if I do, my kids are like, Oh God, mom, you know, do you know better? <laughs> You know, right. they're just like so on to me or my little one will say, 
you shouldn't be allowed to teach mindfulness. <laughs> like he knows just what to do. And then we laugh, you know, and I say, well, you know, when I teach mind, you just because you teach mindfulness doesn't mean you never get mad. And he says, I no. know I was just getting you going. You know, he totally knows what to say, but that's, that's okay. You know, that we, that we lose it and it might look differently for other people. It might mean that you get very quiet and you pull yourself away. Right? It doesn't look like yelling to everyone. It might look like shutting down, which is for kids can be just as painful, you know, as if you yelled. I think sometimes they prefer you yell than if you disappear. Oh yeah, that's how I grew up. I grew up with like the if you were in trouble, you didn't you got the silent treatment until you like begged to be spoken to. Oh my God, right? And there's pain in that. And so some parents are listening, they're like, Well, I don't yell, I'm fine. But then notice what do you do? You know, maybe, maybe you don't get upset. Like, that's amazing. That's wonderful. And most of us do in some way. And how do we get upset? And when do our kids feel it? And then what do we do? Well, you went so far as to implement the help from your son, Tyler, who's a teenager now, but he was four at the time in your book when you humbly went out on this experiment. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that was like to have him be your teacher? Yeah, he was four at a, my son Birdie was probably six months or a year. And I was just triggered a lot. You know, I was just finding myself kind of raising my voice and frustrated. And, you know, I have naturally have anxiety uh, that I've been working with. It's one of the reasons I came to practice early on was to be able to meet my anxiety a different way, more skillfully. And one of my teachers that I was working with, you know, I was talking to her about this and she said, She encouraged me. She said, ask your older son to tell you to notice when you're getting upset and to remind you to breathe. And so I thought, hmm, you know, I wonder. And so I did. I asked Tyler, I said, if you start to notice me getting upset, you think maybe I'm going to yell or get frustrated or something. Could you remind me to breathe? (laughs) He said, okay, mama. And so I cannot tell you (laughs) how many times he would catch me before I would catch me. And I'd hear this little weave, mama, because oh. <laughs> he couldn't say T-H, weave, <laughs> weave, mama. And so between my, me tracking myself, like in, in jotting down what are my triggers, I was journaling at night, you know, what's going on for me, doing my centering practices throughout the day, taking breaths. Then I had this little human helping me catch it earlier. And he just helped my growth in massive ways. And I would always say, thank you. You know, thank you, Tyler. And this went on for, you know, a month or maybe more. I mean, he'll still do it sometimes now. (laughs) I'm like, take a breath, mom. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, so they are so wise. They're so wise if we kind of enter in that kind of relationship with them, even at that age. Yeah. And and as teenagers, they have even more to tell us and teach us, right? Oh, yeah. Your chapter on the teenage years, I think I highlighted the whole thing. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, It's pretty astounding. I even, you know, I read a lot of, you know, my husband gets books and bits from me of like, hey, hey, you need to, you need to hear this. And there's one part that I actually, I'm going to read if you're okay with that, an excerpt of it. Oh yeah, of course. Cause I, I've just found it so profound. And you know, if you don't have teenagers, you might be going, well, duh. But when you're in the moment, (laughs) it's something different. 
Although it would be super lovely if our teens showed us the respect we felt like we deserved all the time, this just isn't a realistic expectation. What I'm talking about here is how we respect our teens, even when they are not being disrespectful, but even downright hateful. I know this sounds crazy, but stay with me. To suck it up and get curious in response to a disrespectful teen requires letting the hurt we feel roll right off us when they roll their eyes. Does this sound like letting them get away with stuff? Does it seem like we're taking the easy route instead of administering what's commonly referred to as tough love? I don't believe so. Instead of for the umpteenth unsuccessful time making an issue of something like eye rolling or the way our teens talk to us, the way forward I have found most helpful is to tune into the message being conveyed through such behavior. Our teen is telling us something extremely important. The reason they are doing it in such an ugly way is that it's the only way they know how to get our attention. Can we be open to the idea that they escalate things because we haven't been listening? So sweet to hear somebody read it. Like it gave me goosebumps (laughs) hearing you read it. (laughs) Yeah, that's the work with our teens. You know, they are, they're doing what they're meant to be doing, right? And part of it is differentiating away from us, right? That is part of their job as they become teenagers is to start to separate themselves from us. Right. And so sometimes there's information. Sometimes there's, you know, if if you, if you study nonviolent communication, you know, you know, it's never the behavior that's happening, like the bad, call it a bad behavior. It's always an unmet need underneath the behavior. And so we can, we can look at it that way. We can say, oh, what need is not being met? right? Are they hungry? Are they tired? Right? Are they angry? Like what might it be? So we can look that way as little detectives, or we can also just know that, oh, you know, there's actually nothing necessarily going on under this that I can point to, but I can sense that this is just part of them needing to feel separate from me because they're going to go off on their own in a few years. And so over these years that they're with us during this time, they are going to start to pull away. And can we stay, right, when they pull away? Can we hold the other end of the rope, right? Because they're pulling away and hanging on at the same time. And they're so confused about it. They're so confused about it. It doesn't make any sense. And so it doesn't make any sense to us. It doesn't make any sense to them. But if we can be with that knowing and just hold on to the end of, other end of the rope and just stay. I mean, the connection and the love and the deepening of relationship is astounding. And that's the opposite of what we normally think of as the teenage years, right? There's this horrible conversation, cultural conversation we've all bought into. Oh, they're awful. Oh, just get through it. You know, oh, you know, just hunker down. I call BS on that all day long. I think it's such a shame that that's the cultural conversation and the the story that we're stuck with in our culture about teenagers. Teenagers are fascinating, creative, inquisitive. This is some of the most, their brains are primed for some of the most creativity that's possible in a lifetime right now. If anybody's read Dan Siegel's book, Brainstorm on the adolescent brain, I mean, they are amazing They have amazing brains, amazing hearts. They're amazing creatures on this earth. And we just poo-poo them. I know. You know, like, ugh, just like write it off. And it's because we're all caught up in our own, what we're not getting. They're not respecting us. They're not, you know, we're not getting what we need from the relationship, but we're not willing to look at it from a different perspective and to lean in in a different way and to listen. And that's where that practice comes in, that 
you know, that ability to sit with your own junk and to sit in it and to not judge, to just observe and to not yum or yuck it, to just say like, this is just what's happening, but to remain connected to yourself or to the other person. And I feel like that's such a, it's a hard sell for a lot of people because they, they want to meditate to feel better, to, you know, to, to feel peace and calm. And unfortunately, when you really start to, to do the practice and do the work, that's not really what comes up all the time, right? <laughs> No, not all the time. And and we often, we're just moving from that to like, you know, peace to trauma, to peace to drama, to peace to uncomfortable, right? It goes back and forth and back and forth. And that is what our lives are like. So we might as well practice doing it. Yeah. But that cultivating that ability to just observe and stay in it, I think that's where you actually can apply it into mindfulness. And you did such a great job of explaining the difference between those two concepts, which seem like everybody should know, but I feel like there's a lot of confusion around what mindfulness and meditation and, or what I call awarefulness, like, can you be aware and wake up in your waking day really are that they're, they're two separate things, right? Yeah. Well, and, you know, and if you ask 50 different teachers, you'll get 50 different responses. Um, And I think I said that in the book too, you know, like everyone has their own description, you know, that's what works for me you know, is to like meditation is just kind of that formal practice, right? That we pause and we stop. Maybe we go on retreat. Maybe we sit on a cushion. Maybe we meditate in our car, but it's this kind of point of time that we're stopping and we're practicing. And mindfulness, we can do anytime, like anywhere. It could just be feeling our feet on the ground as we walk from our house to our car, right? It could just be, you know, when we, for those of you that have pets, like our pets bring us into presence, like nothing else. You know, if I stop and pet my dog and look into their eyes, you know, a minute or two goes by and, and it's a moment of presence, right? So it can, you know, it's just weaving in those moments throughout our day. It, to me is mindfulness. Me too. And it's, it's, it can wear a mask of so many other things as long as there's presence involved. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people call it mind, there's also mindfulness meditation, right? Because when we're in our meditation, we're practicing mindfulness. So, you know, the words don't matter so much, Um, but it is nice to have, you know, an idea of it in your mind um, so that there's just this path to follow. So you have some pretty remarkable ways of actually practicing mindfulness within your family dynamic. I love this idea that you presented of the family council. I totally want to do it on our, our mountain family vacation that's coming up next week. Just a talking <laughs> stick. That's yes. all you need. And it doesn't have to be a stick. It could be anything. It right. could be like a spoon, you know, that's hanging around on the table. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter if you don't have anything formal. <laughs> so how has this transformed your family dynamic? And can you explain that in a nutshell, the process of to our listeners and where you found it? Yeah. Well, you know, um, my, one of my very best friends, Soren Gordheimer, who is the founder of the Wisdom 2.0 conference, um, that I've been helping build for many, many years. I was struggling. I don't remember what, cause this is going back maybe seven or eight years. I was struggling with something in the family one day. And he said, you know, there's a great book, um, that you might read. And I think they have, you know, some family suggestions in there. And it's a book called The Way of Counsel, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. And it's a book about how to hold council meetings, essentially. I call it a family meeting, but you can call it whatever you want. You can call it a family council meeting. And it's just this practice of being able to sit around. And I I encourage parents when they're doing it for the first time not to dive in with like problems. It was probably not the best idea. Like get let, let everybody get used to it with like positive things. So you sit around and maybe you give it 
five minutes. Depends on the age of your kids. If they're really young, you can do it for three minutes. Everyone gets a stick for one minute or less and shares like one positive thing from the day. Maybe it's a dinner time or it could be its own special time and get them used to whoever has the stick, you know, gets to talk and everyone else just listens and you can, you can teach, you know, I used to teach them what mindful listening is. So mindful listening is just paying attention to the person who's speaking and you will notice, oh, you think about something you want to add, or you might think about what you want to say next, right? Or how you'd respond to them and just notice that, but come back to just listening to that person. So you get to practice mindful listening and then the stick goes around and everyone gets their chance to speak. And eventually you could have those meetings where you're, you know, dealing with, with struggles in the family and, and really what needs to happen is to be listened to deeply. Ours have evolved over the years into now we have, and I learned this from my friend, our friends at, um, happily family. They have a wonderful online community. And they have, I I interviewed them on my online conference that's launching this fall. And we actually talk about this, this um, family agreements book. And so anytime there's a struggle in the family, you can sit down and kind of have a council meeting. It doesn't necessarily have to do with the stick, but make some new agreements. You know, okay, what are we agreeing to now? It could be around iPhone use or technology or how we get upset with each other. What happens when there's a conflict? What do we do, right? And it it actually gets documented and lives in this book. So we've done this recently and it's really been, it's kind of been the evolution of of our family council meetings. And we've got this notebook sitting out in our main area of the house. And so if there's ever a question on how to approach something, the kids will go now and like open the book. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. It's huge. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. It's huge. I'm waiting for them to kind of do it on their own. They haven't done that yet. My my friend Cecilia and Jason, they've been doing this with their kids since they were super teeny tiny. And so they started like doing their, you know, when they were having a hard time, they would kind of just start writing agreements like without the parents even knowing like who, you know, don't put the cereal box back you know, empty or like, don't use the last of the cereal box without letting someone else know, you know? And then they're like, you didn't agree. You know, you didn't, you, we made this agreement and you didn't keep it. You know? And then the other daughter's like, okay, yeah, that's right. It's true. I didn't. Okay. I'm going to try to remember that next time. And then it moves on. Right. But there's, there's been a spoken agreement and then people get to hold those agreements and call each other out when, when they don't keep it. Anyway, I just think it becomes a beautiful structure. They get to learn about commitment and then, and actually standing up for themselves when the commitment isn't honored, which is like, how else do you teach that? Yeah, exactly. And you know, different things work for different families. So whenever, you know, I give all these ideas and things we're trying and things we've done and things other people have tried, but you know, it's all just experiments and you just experiment with different things and and see what lands with your family. Right. And you just got to get in there and do, which is part of the reason I love your podcast because you have like these little bite-sized chunk meditations in there that are, you know, I feel like anybody can weave those into their life, right? You just have to do, like you have to practice these things and see if they work for you. Exactly. And you have to remember to do them, which is the hardest part, you know, it's remembering. So I think leaving little reminders, or I often, you know, say leave little stickers around, that can remind you of what to do, you know, what you're, what you've committed to or, you know, whatever. So, so calendar reminders, little stickers, you know, I, when I'm really trying to incorporate something new, I'll have little like notes that I leave for myself in my wallet and on my computer screen and in my kitchen cabinet, you know, to remind me what I'm trying, what I'm working on. 
I love that. You must have a lot of notes because you have a lot of things going on, right? You're an author, you're a mom, you're a coach, you've got a podcast, you've got two versions of Wisdom 2.0 coming up and an online summit. Tell me more about those two things. Um, well, the online summit's coming up and it's my first one and it just has a star-studded, wonderful, yummy cast of people who are talking about different um, different ways to get to know ourselves really and to build resilience and to parent peacefully and consciously and talk about health and we talk about working parents. And I tried to kind of make it super broad so there'd be something for everyone. So it'll happen for three days in September. And if anybody wants to get notifications of it, they can just join my online community. I usually send out one email a week at beamindfulparent.com. So I'd love to have people there and, and join in. Awesome. So we will be sure that we also link to that in the show notes, which you can find at ladypotions.com forward slash episode 33. And then you also have Wisdom 2.0, which is, is that like where mindfulness meets technology? Am I correct? Thinking that's what it is. <laughs> Yeah, that's where it started. The Wisdom 2.0 conference is founded in San Francisco and it started 10 years ago. And it was originally to bring the technology community together with the contemplative community, you know, with the idea of, you know, how do we meet our, the, these outer technologies that are pulling our attention away with our inner technologies within us, right? How do we move forward thoughtfully and skillfully with both? So that was the initial. And now it's really, it still does that, but it also has moved to much more of a social platform than just technology. And it happens every year in February or March in San Francisco. That's the main conference. Um, it's over two or three days. And then we do a conference every year in October called Mindfulness in America. And that's a day or day and a half event in Manhattan somewhere. Anderson Cooper hosts it usually. He's hosting it again this year with uh, Soren. I was the MC last year. We'll see if I do that again this year. But it's just a great gathering of people who are interested in these practices. So if you live in the New York area, come see us. And if you're in the Bay Area, San Francisco, the main conference is in February. We'd love to have you. That's awesome. Hats off to you. I mean, I feel like you are bringing so many tools and, you know, little and big projects to everybody. So there's something for everyone. And you really can feel your intention behind, you know, making the world a better place by starting with you and teaching others to do that. That's amazing. Oh, thank you. I feel like I could talk to you all day. <laughs> we will save that hopefully for another interview, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, you make it easy. Thank you for, for the work that you're doing in the world. All right. Well, you can also find her at michellegal.com. And there you have it. This has been Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. <laughs> Be sure and check back with the show notes so that you can find all the links to all of the amazing people that we referenced in this. Thank you so much, Michelle. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Fertile Minds Radio, hosted at www.ladyportions.com, where you'll find past episodes, show notes, and free meditations. If you've benefited from what you've heard, leave a comment or review so it makes it easier for others to find this valuable wisdom. Let's help elevate each other. Thanks for listening.